Well, good morning. First Peter chapter two, verse number eleven is where we are in our text today, and we have been studying First Peter now for a couple months, and we see that it's addressed to a group of people who are spiritual exiles at the very least. Most likely, they're also exiles geographically, politically, and in other ways, and they are in a position where they can they can assume that because of looking around them that things aren't going so well because they're Christian. One of the things that Peter does then is he tries to draw their attention to heaven, doesn't he? He talks about the eternal inheritance and and everything involved in in going to heaven. And we we love to sing about heaven. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. All these different songs. We love to think about the glories of heaven. I, I love teaching the Sunday school class that I'm teaching on Sunday mornings. It, it allows me to think about the glories of heaven and remind me that this earth is only a shadow of the things to come. This is a shadow. The reality is in heaven. The bliss that we're going to experience. We have special privileges and we'll receive honor. That Probably the type of honor we have never experienced here on earth. But while we're here, we're going to experience trials and trouble mixed with joy. But we know that we're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. And we are possessed by God. What great truths these are. From chapter 2, verse 11, that we read today, all the way to chapter 4, verse 11, that is the very heart, that's the meat of what Peter wants to communicate to the, the, the recipients. He, he sets it up in his introduction, telling them who they are. Now from this verse that we read today, all the way through chapter 4, verse 11, he's more or less saying, now this is how you're to act in light of these truths. How does it affect the way that we act here? And that, that's a very serious question we need to ask ourselves. Do we hole up into a holy huddle and, and never have any interaction with the world around us? Or do we uh, do something different? Like, do we become activists trying to change the culture around us and, and trying to, to Christianize our culture? Is that, is that what we're supposed to do? Or are we supposed to just, just walk around and, and just kind of point out, well, you know, I have the smug satisfaction of knowing I'm going to heaven and you're not. These are all, dare I say, bad attitudes that people who are believers have had in the past. None of these things are true. The truth is that we are kept here as instruments to fight spiritual warfare and evangelize the lost. That's the whole reason for the Great Commission, isn't it? I'm leaving you here and you're to go out, make disciples, baptize people, and so on and so forth. There's there's no column in the newspaper there's no public service announcement on the radio there's no soundbite on television there's no government agency that counsels us how to wage the war for eternal life or for the life of our souls is there there's there's nothing there instead our world is massively preoccupied with the unimportant think about it what what is our world in Occupied with. We're, we're told to wage the war against obesity. 
heart disease, uh, drunk driving. The biggest one probably right now is is climate change. They had to change that from global warming because things aren't getting as warm as they thought they would. Old age, depression, um, fire, theft, cholesterol, cancer. These are the things that, that the world is preoccupied with fighting. And the fact of the matter is, the world that we live in gives us no counsel how to fight for the eternal life of the soul. And this is exactly what Peter's doing in the passage that we have in front of us. The key issue in the book, in First Peter, that Christians... Need to know is that Christians are to live in such a way that God is glorified. Bottom line, that's why we're here. We're we're to glorify God in all that we do, all that we say, all that we think, all of our desires, and so on and so forth. And if we live in such a way that our lives don't point people to the glory of God, then our lives are without positive significance for the kingdom of heaven. From a Christian standpoint, we, we become just a, a copy of the God neglecting culture that's around us. And we we fit into the world so well that our lives don't point beyond the world to something greater Then we are no longer strangers and aliens. But we're simply citizens conforming to the God ignoring world. So really, there's a lot of there is a lot at stake when it comes to how we live our lives. So my question to you today is, do you live to consciously glorify God in, in everything you do, in, in the way that you order your life, in the, in the way that you have your desires set up? You can change your desires, by the way. Have you done that? Now, what does this look like? What does it look like for a Christian to wage the war against Spiritual wickedness and, and all these things. Well, Peter says that what we do is we evangelize. The verses that we read today, the conclusion is that we evangelize. And so I want to walk through these two verses and, and show us, show you what an evangelist looks like. And the first thing that we see is that an evangelist knows that they're an alien. Now, how many have been told today, in recently in your life, that you're an alien? Okay, probably not too many people. But we need to understand that we're aliens. He says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles." Here's a, here's a very simple question. If I were to ask you where your citizenship is, what would be your answer? For the mass, vast majority of people that call themselves Christians, they would say that their citizenship is in the United States of America. I mean, I'm talking about around here, right? Most of us. As a matter of fact, um, later today I get the opportunity to use my passport as I leave this country. And the passport says that I'm a citizen of the United States. But my attitude and your attitude should be that I, I'm an alien exile to this country. Because this country is not ultimately my home. My home is in heaven. I'm a, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just, I'm just here temporarily. I'm a citizen of heaven first and foremost. When Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, he's using terms that basically mean that, that 
Christians are first citizens of God's holy nation, and therefore they're not primarily citizens of the society in which they live. The phrase brings out the fact that Christians are in the world only for a temporary period and do not have the status of citizens. And so we must, if we're going to evangelize people, we must cultivate that kind of a mindset. We must have the mindset of sojourners, the mindset of exiles. We have adopted a new nationality and have adopted a way of life of an alien in the country that we now reside. We still reside in the same country, surrounded by the kingdom of darkness, but we are citizens of the kingdom of light. And so the problem is that when we live here, when we live in the same country, but we have a changed citizenship, we are tempted to take on the desires, the dreams, the goals, and the culture of the society that's going to die, the society of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. Isn't that an ever-present temptation? The temptation to take on the values of the country in which we reside is, is strong. It's an, there's an intense pull to the old way of life. And so to cultivate the mind of exiles, we must always stay sober and awake to the fact that we don't, so that we don't drift in with the world and take for granted the way the world acts and thinks. And they, they think it's the best way. We need to assume that the strategies of advertisers are not helpful to our soul or the strategies of business and industry are not helpful to the soul. And dare I say, in this highly politically charged area, I'm talking about where we live right now, around Washington, D.C., we, we, need, we need to realize that the goal of the Republicans and the goal of the Democrats wage war against our eternal soul. Whether you like it or not, if you're bought into a political uh, system, whether it's conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, independent, can I tell you something? Buying into those values is not buying into things that are going to help you eternally. What helps you eternally is to understand that you're an exile, that you're a sojourner, that this book is the book of life. And if you obey this book, then all the other stuff can happen and it's not going to affect you because eternity is the most important reality that you will ever face in your entire life. And nobody in this world is getting people ready for eternity. They're involved in politics, industry, advertising, or any of that sort of stuff. All the values of the world are turned on their head. Think about how Paul describes the world in, in Philippians. In Philippians, this is what he says. Listen to this. This is the world. Their God is their belly. Their mind set on earthly things. And then he sticks that little butt in there, that contrast. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He turns the values completely on its head when he, when he talks. The implication is that if you are a Christian and your mind is preoccupied by your appetites and the passing pleasures of this world, then you're literally acting like God's enemy. Isn't that what he said? Their God is their belly. With minds set on earthly things. But our, our citizenship is in heaven. And we wait our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you have taken on the values of this world, you have taken on the values of the enemy. That's very powerful thinking. And I think that we are so 
in tune with our culture that we don't think of it that way. The word for sojourner is a word paraoikos. Very interesting. It's a compound word. Para means beside. Oikos means home. And it's the idea that you are being alongside somebody. You're living alongside somebody who belongs here. You come in alongside the homes of people who belong here. You're not really family. You're just alongside the family. You happen to be living near those who are at home in a certain place, but you don't belong there. You're a non-citizen. The word came to mean a person who is a foreigner in a land that's not his own. That's literally how we are to think. Literally how we're to adopt our lives. And then the word exile is, is simply refers to a visitor who makes a brief stay. A sojourner who is just going through the country. A traveler who is just moving around in it. Somebody just passing through. That's literally what we're doing. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Is that how it goes? Okay. Um, and, and that is so true. And it's so hard for so many people to think that way, to realize that. And so our attitude, what is our attitude? Our attitude is that we're sojourners and exiles. Our citizenship is in heaven. But the second thing about an evangelist is that um, they battle the desires of the flesh. These are inward things. You battle the desires of the flesh. He says this, verse number 11, I urge you to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against the flesh. The word passions in passions of the flesh means strong desires. So passions of the flesh are strong desires or strong passions uh, that are characteristic of the sinful nature and not appropriate for a heavenly bound citizen. These desires, they, they wage war against the soul. The word translated wage war means to serve as a soldier. It's a present tense. It's the idea of continually waging the war. We constantly have to fight against our appetites to make sure that they're not ruling us. Sleep is great. Sleep is a God-ordained thing. But too much sleep is called laziness. Right? Food is great. Food, we, we can't live without food. But too much food is called gluttony. Sex is great. But sex is ordained by God to be within the confines of marriage. Outside the confines of marriage, it's called adultery. You see what I'm saying? These are these desires that wage war against our soul. In America, I would say one of the predominant desires that we see, particularly among young people, is hedonism. The desire for pleasure. Is there anything wrong with, with pleasure? There's nothing wrong with pleasure. God ordained pleasure. But when you give yourself to pleasure, that's hedonism. That's your idol. And it's, it's warring against your very soul. You see, we could go on and on and on with these passions and these desires, right? And so we're, we're to wage war against them, abstain from them, because they war against our flesh. So to entertain such desires may appear momentarily attractive and, and entirely harmless, but they're in reality enemies 
that inflict harm on the Christian soul. They make us spiritually weak and ineffective. And to be unaware of the damage done spiritually indicates a low level of spiritual perception. I would say that if you've been a Christian for, let's just say, 10 years, the things that were okay for you when you were a Christian at at five years, maybe you have become more aware of and conscious of and have cut back on or maybe changed because you realize that they're not helpful for you. You, you, you all have heard my golf illustration, right? And why there for a while I gave up. Now I'm just an old man with back problems. But, back, but I quit golfing for a while because it was completely occupying my mind. And if I'm not careful, I can get that way about woodworking. I can get that way. I used to get that way about football. And these are, these are completely harmless things. But when they take away from your spiritual walk, they take away from your spiritual life. Her name was Marie Durant. She lived in southern France in the late 17th century. At the age of 14, she was brought before authorities and charged with being a Huguenot or Huguenot. Um, to them, that was heresy. To us, that's biblical Christianity. She was attractive and very marriageable. And she was told to recant her Huguenot faith. She was told, she was not told to commit an immoral act, to become a criminal, or even change the day-to-day quality of her behavior. She was simply told to say two words. I recant. No more, no less. She didn't comply. Together with 30 others, uh, Huguenot women, she was put into a tower by the sea. And for 38 years she continued. And to this day, if you go visit the castle where she was imprisoned, you will see on the walls, scrawled in the walls, resiste, which means resist. Resist, resist, resist. Most of us do not understand the simplicity of the religious commitment that gives us nothing in this life, not even hope. Most of us want a religious commitment that enhances our current life. We want immediate return. And to sit in prison for 38 years and see the day turn to night and summer to autumn and feel the slow systematic changes within one's flesh, the drying and wrinkling of the skin, the loss of muscle tone, the stiffening of the joints, the slow stupefaction of the senses, all this and still persevere seems idiotic. It seems a waste to our current generation. But Marie knew that she was only in exile, only a sojourner, and one day she would meet her king in glory and be home. So when you see yourself as an alien in an exile and your citizenship is in heaven and God is your only sovereign, you stop taking on the world's virtues. You think through what honors God in everything. Food, cars, videos, internet, financial savings, education for the children or for the children, missions, sports, death, and everything else. Aliens, they get their cue from God and from nowhere else. So important that we that we understand that, that we 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 wage war against these passions of the flesh. So because we are the king's children and our citizenship is in heaven We remember that we're sojourners and exiles. We battle the passions of the flesh. And third, 
We pursue honorable conduct. That's our outward behavior. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. But what does that mean? Honor has fallen on hard times in Western culture, hasn't it? As a matter of fact, it's so fascinating to go back even a hundred years and see how much honor was referred to in society, particularly when we're talking about Western culture, particularly somewhere like um, England, Victorian England, and and uh, those those times, honor was a huge deal. Western culture, we have completely lost the idea of honor. Honor is not even on our radar. How many heard that word this week, honor? Unless you were standing in front of your honor, more than likely, you haven't heard that word because it's it's not something that's that's valued in our society. But we're to keep our conduct honorable, and to order to under, unpack this um, we, we need to understand what the day of visitation is what is that day what is the day of visitation you ever wonder that well it, it's it's fascinating biblical theology i've got enough time i want you to turn there i was going to read them for you but turn to luke chapter one we're going to look at three verses three different passages here i'll just run through it luke 168 luke is where this verse is you or this this idea is used three times, and we'll stay in the book of Luke. Luke 1 and verse 68. You know, when I first started preaching, I used to be able to tell when people were there because I could hear the pages turn. Now so many people use phones and iPads, I have no idea if they made it there or not. But uh, so, sometimes I just want to hand somebody a Bible and say, can you find that book in the Bible? But that's another thing. I'll New Year's Eve game right there. Bible drill. All right. Luke one sixty eight. look at what it says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. So here's that word visited. And it's used to describe the visitation of Jesus Christ at His birth, right? They're, they're glorifying God because Jesus visited his, the people in the area, actually visited the whole world. Alright, now turn to Luke 7.16. Luke seven sixteen. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. This is in, re- in uh, response to the, the acts of Jesus. One more, Luke 19 and verse number 44. Luke 19, 44. And this is pronouncing woe on Jerusalem. It says, And tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another. Why? Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. So all three of these verses are dealing with salvation. Uh, the first one, a great prophet risen among us, God has visited his people, talking about the salvation that was going to happen because of Jesus Christ. This last one, Luke nineteen forty four, the Jerusalem is going to be destroyed because Jesus came to save, and they don't believe on that Jesus. Therefore, um, um, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The word, the, the idea of God visiting, is the idea of salvation in Jesus Christ. So go back now to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number um, 11 and 12. And it says that they will glorify God on the day of visitation. So what does that mean? The idea is this. On 
balance. When your inner conduct or when your inner desires are being controlled and sent the right direction, your outward behavior becomes honorable. You're not in people's face about your Christianity, but you're living the virtues of Jesus Christ. And when the evangelistic opportunity comes, when God visits, salvation occurs. The day of visitation, glorify God. Let me ask you a question. The day that you got saved, did you glorify God? Man, I remember the day. I remember that day. I remember the night before. I mean, it was night and day. The night before, I remember laying in my bed. 3 a.m., I'm not sleeping as an 18-year-old. 3 a.m., and I say, God, if I'm not saved, show me tomorrow. I remember God made it so abundantly clear through my youth pastor's lesson. And I went to him. I said, I need to be saved. And he looked at me and said, well, you know what to do. You grew up in this church. And I, I prayed to receive Christ as my Savior that day. I was so happy I could walk on clouds. I was glorifying God and praising God. And I dare say that for many of you, the experience is much the same, isn't it? They glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter is speaking of the visitation that leads to salvation because of the ongoing observation of the character and quality of the Christian's life. An unbeliever will glorify God in the day when God visits him to save him. What Peter is saying here then is that when people look at you, when they, when they see what they see expressed in your actions, in what is your hope, they, they see a certain way of acting and they notice that you must not be hoping in what people usually hope in. Self-exaltation, safety, money. And they're puzzled as to where your hope is. And so they ask you about your hope, where you get your confidence or your contentment, where your satisfaction is. And, and you have an answer for them and you tell them, my hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is in nothing less than Jesus Christ's righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. When you can tell people that, you can tell them with confidence, and they can see it when God visits them on the day of salvation. There's great joy and glory to God. Now notice the last thing. last thing is that they have receptive hearts. And I already mentioned that. They have receptive hearts. They, When they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, in order, in order for us to be effective witnesses in the world, there must be word and deed. Right? Word and deed. The gospel is a message that must be proclaimed. The, the idea of lifestyle evangelism, there is some truth. As a matter of fact, I thought about calling this uh, lifestyle evangelism, this, this uh, sermon. I decided against it because the gospel is both deed and word. Deed and word. You can live the most moral life in the world hoping that your neighbors will see it and change, but they will not change until they hear Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's the most important message that we have to proclaim. And look at these verses one more time. I want to read them as a whole so you can see his reasoning. I've broken it down in the sermon, but look at the look at the flow of thought. He says this. 
He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh. So this is what they're to do, abstain, which wage war against your soul. Secondly, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And then there's that word, so that. Right? Why are we to... Why are we to keep our inward self clean, our outward actions honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is all for evangelism. Evangelism. Telling the good news. You may be sitting here right now thinking to yourself, there there might be a person's name face in your mind right now you know i don't know so and so can tell that i'm a christian i've been i've been trying to live the christian life in uh, in front of them well maybe what you need to do is actually tell them the gospel of jesus christ that's why we're here we're here to proclaim the good news this world is falling apart in so many ways there's wars rumors of wars there's there's uh, disagreement everywhere. There's misunderstandings everywhere. The uh, the polar ice caps are melting. We're all going to drown in the ocean. And um, there's earthquakes and fires and and disappointments and sorrows. And everybody who's around you, they're in the middle of it. I don't care what their life is like, how charmed their life seems to be. They're still saying, "Is this all there is?" Is this all there is? And the answer is no, no, no. There's so much better. This whole world is just, it's just a shadow of the great things to come. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, He will save you from your sin. He came and died on the cross so that you can be saved. And He saved me. I know He can save you. That's the message that we have to proclaim. The Bible says this in in Romans chapter 10. What does it say? It says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let me ask you a question. How's your evangelistic heart? Are you reaching out to your neighbors? Are you reaching out to your coworkers? Are you talking to people in your community? Maybe you're the type of person who has the um, has an outreach program. Uh, I serve a lot of people in this church. Evangelize in, in certain specific ways, whether it's jail ministry, young life, um, the pregnancy center, and, and, and different uh, the Gideons and, and all these different ministries. These are wonderful ways to get the word out, and and I hope you're looking for opportunities. I I haven't said much about evangelism as I, as I want to personal evangelism I'm talking about. I, I had the opportunity this week. I, I This person who I met about a month after I came to Culpeper, um, I I've, have gotten to know her a little bit, and I got to start sharing the gospel with her this last week. She has no Christian reference. I had to start at the very beginning. She didn't know about Jesus Christ. She didn't know why He came to earth. She'd heard of Him, but she didn't know... Any of the Bible stories, none of them. It was so much fun, and I, I didn't. I didn't take an hour and say, "Oh, hey, let me unpack this." I, all I had was about fifteen minutes with her, so I took five, and just gave her the big story of the Bible. I don't know if she was interested or not. Or not. She she acted it. She said, 
Wow, the way you tell that's that's so interesting to me. It's interesting to listen to. And when I see her again, I'm going to I'm going to try to to bring in another gospel dimension. Why am I doing this? Because I am to proclaim the gospel everywhere I go. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm trying to get you to see it's it's opportunities are everywhere. The person that cuts your hair, the person that does your nails, the person that um, checks out at the, at the store. There's lots of, of little stores around here where you go in. You, the person knows you. You know them. There's opportunities that abound. You can hand out gospel tracts. You can uh, talk to your neighbors, invite them over. And one, of the, one of the things, and i got to close, but let me just say this. This excites me. I've talked about this before uh, when, I first, when I candidated here. We are all gifted in different ways. There are some people that are the mouth of the body. Okay? There's others of you. So don't you laugh at me. There's others who are tremendous at hospitality. There are others who are tremendous at serving. There are people in this auditorium, they don't ever meet a stranger. That's not me. I run out of things to talk about real fast. There's people that don't. What am I saying? God made us a body. So what do we do? We use the whole body for evangelism. Maybe you're not an evangelist. Maybe you get tongue-tied when you start sharing the gospel. You know what you can do? You can invite a friend who you know is. A couple more Christian friends. And you can say, you know what? Let's have a cookout in the backyard. Not now, obviously. Later on. Let's have a cookout. We'll invite a a couple of our, our friends who are not believers. And we'll have a bunch of believers. And we start doing this on a regular basis. They see your life. They see your love. They see the way you interact with each other. And, and the, the evangelist is always going to get in there and evangelize. And they're going to learn stuff about Christ and Christians. So you don't, you don't have to always be the one. You should be regularly telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can be creative in the way you do it. Well, I've got I to close. That was free. Um, but why are we here? We have this tremendous inheritance and we are left here to proclaim the mercies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light lord the world does not understand us as a matter of fact the world hates us you tell us but there are some who will see our conduct and when you and they will see your testimony hear the the fact that jesus saves and lord they'll want to know more and so i pray that you'll just fill our church with evangelists give us a heart to love you obey you and love the lost and tell the unbelievers about the great salvation that is found in jesus christ in his name amen